Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Bakugo Holmes Wealth the 22nd. I don't even know if it's Bakugo. I don't think I updated these <laughs> this time or date or anything. Sorry. Well, my name's Adam, and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review. Spoiler review. My review of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition Revised Dungeon Master's Guide. That's right. AD&D 2E DMG. <laughs> For all of you nerds out there. All right, so this was uh, by David Zeb Cook with Steve Winter and John Pickens, very much like the Player's Handbook. I will be spoiling the contents. I don't even know. I'd... I should have updated this, and I didn't even update it. Anyway, I'd like to thank the members of this YouTube channel and invite you to consider becoming a member if you haven't already by visiting the link in the description below. You can always pick up Dragon's Game materials using my affiliate links. All right, so share your thoughts about second edition, share your thoughts about Dungeon Master's Guides, what's your favorite one, what's your least favorite one, etc., etc. I'm going to give you some uh, bit of a history about this Dungeon Master's Guide and just sort of give you my my take on it. I've never read this cover to cover before I did it this past week, and so it was a bit of a, a learning curve for me, not only because I'm relearning second edition after having not played it since 95... <laughs> 96 i don't know 95 i think um for the upcoming ravenloft uh when black roses bloom module that i'm going to be running from september to october but i also just i like reading these manuals i've just i don't read them usually and so it gives me a chance to you know these reviews give me a chance to sort of revisit these old core books or new core books and just sort of process what Dungeons & Dragons used to be versus what it is now, how it's evolved, how it's changed, is it for the better or worse, etc. Alright, Solid Cumbie, how you doing? Good to see you. Dragonlance Audiobooks, Fofowee, what is up? I don't know why I sound like that. Alright, well, it is a live stream. Anyone else joining live, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate your time. Let's talk about this. So, in 89, the Player's Handbook premiered in February, and after that, the game modules began to proliferate, proliferate, including the edition-changing adventures like WG-8, Fate of Istis in 1989, and the Avatar Trilogy in 1989. This book saw more than 10 printings over its first several years, and then it was revised as part of the 2.5 edition in 1995. Now, this is actually the 2.5 edition manual cover, I never bought this. I didn't even know it existed until I started doing this research. Um, more recently, it was published yet again by Wizards of the Coast in the 2013 Premium Edition. That's the original cover that I had, which is just a great image. Not as good as the first edition Mon Dungeon Master's Guide cover, but not too shabby in its own right. Okay. So the original Dungeon Master Guide premiered a year later in 1979 after the Player's Handbook. Uh, and... It was the core rulebook for the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st edition. But now the Player's Handbook had become the core rulebook for the 2nd edition. Now, this is an important change that the Dungeon Master Guide went through. 1st edition and 2nd edition are not that different. In fact, it's not even really a different edition as much as it is an evolved handbook for the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons game. Hence, the nomenclature of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons didn't change, like you saw in future editions. And so when we're talking about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, what we're really talking about is the alteration of layout, 
when it comes to the actual pages, some removal of player options, and some additions of player options. And one of those additions of player options was to know what the rules were. <laughs> <laughs> because in first edition, players weren't supposed to know the rules. The player's handbook in first edition was pretty much just how to create a character, and it showed you spells. That if you chose or could play one of those characters that could cast spells, well, here's your list. That was kind of it. And then with the Dungeon Master's Guide in first edition was all of the rules, everything. It was a very thick tome, and it had not just... Uh, r randomly placed rules, rulings, explanations, and stuff, but it also had changes to the spells that were presented in the player's handbook, like clarifications and further details. It was a bit of a mess and a bit of a headache, which is why they decided to make a second edition and completely restructure it. So what they did with the Dungeon Master's Guide in second edition was mimic every single chapter that was in the player's handbook, which is the new rule guide, and add context for specifically Dungeon Masters. Now, if you're running a game in second edition, you don't necessarily need, as a Dungeon Master, the Dungeon Master's Guide, because all of the information you need to actually do the mechanical running of the game is in the Player's Handbook. But what the Dungeon Master Guide gives you in the second edition is justification for rules, which I don't remember being in the first edition, and I certainly don't recall being in future editions, because again, second edition is a reaction to first edition. I saw a note, um, by someone who watched the first edition player's handbook uh, review that I did, and they were complaining that it was a very difficult handbook to read. And I think it's unfair to compare second edition player's handbook or Dungeon Master's Guide to future editions player's handbooks and Dungeon Master's Guides, because they didn't exist when this came out. This was a groundbreaking tome that just expanded upon what came before it. So the only true like comparison one can make and be honest about it is to compare it to the previous version of it. So you can compare second edition to first edition, but if you're comparing it to third, fourth, or fifth, well, that's just not fair because years and years of playing and game changing and sensibilities changes have taken place. So you just cannot fairly compare the two. So if you want to complain about it, that's okay. Just go back in time and do it. Don't do it nowadays on my channel. <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Uh, doing great. How are you? Ah, I'm, I'm pretty good this week, actually. Okay. So one of Steve Winter's major goals for second edition release was that there would be no repeat material between the books. Thus, the Dungeon Master's Guide instead acts as commentary and addendum to the player's handbook. And this is important to note, um, even though it's a lie, <laughs> because I did find myself reading passages which sounded incredibly, if not verbatim, similar to what was in the player's handbook. And it wasn't a lot, but it was definitely there. I, I had this weird deja vu moment going like, wait a second, I just read this two weeks ago. Why, you know, what's going on? But that was his intention. And so knowing that that was his intention going into reading this book, you certainly understand that this is not supposed to be a standalone game instruction. This is supposed to be a justification for rulings that you're going to find in the player's handbook. And they go to great lengths to explain why they made rules, why they changed the rules, how rules engage and interact, and how options, uh, you know, 
they present different options, A and B, basically tournament rule versus um, playing at your you know, local game table. But also just in between uh, different optional rules. They give you justifications for each of them. So if you wanted to um, run a game, uh, if you wanted to run InfraVision, for example, if you wanted to run InfraVision as the fantasy version, not the human scientific version, well, then here's the rulings and here are the things that you could run into. If you want to run it as like a scientific ruling in our world, how UltraVision works or InfraVision works, well, then here are the considerations you have to take into account. This is how it practically works and that doesn't really effectively work in fantasy so you're going to have to change some of this justification or disappoint the players who are trying to be super nerdy about it and realizing that they don't actually have the advantages that they thought they did there's a lot of that type of dialogue within it and i find it very very refreshing that it's just straightforward game designers explaining to dungeon masters look this is the difficulty that we're faced with Here's the reason why we made these decisions. And it helps you as the dungeon master then when making calls that players are inevitably going to bitch about because if there's one thing players do, that's complain. <laughs> that's just what they do. You know, they, if it's not about a specific ruling, then it's about a specific uh, ability that they want to work in a specific way, or it's a, a, a power or something that they want to have but don't actually have, or it's just never-ending, DM's headaches. But, <laughs> yeah, like, some people are struggling to find fresh water, and I'm complaining about a game. <laughs> like, first-world problems here. Um, so... I really appreciated this version of the Dungeon Master's Guide for that. However, there's something missing about the heart and soul of what it means to be a Dungeon Master from this. Something that I got from the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, and it's why I think it's arguably the best Dungeon Master's Guide ever created. Yes, it's convoluted and it, like rule justifications are scattered throughout the entire manual. It's not very organized well, and it's just sort of just schizophrenic in its presentation. But I actually appreciate it more than I did this. And it's mainly, I think, because it presented everything in the same way that this tries to present it, but without the justification, so it's able to really hone in on the ruling systems. Like, this is how this rule works. These are the options for this rule. If the players don't like it, tough. You're the dungeon masters. You, you, they don't have a say. And all these rules that I just told you don't matter at all, and you can just do whatever you want. That's first edition sensibilities. And that's what I love, because he went into incredible detail. So if you really did want to get to the technical side of running a Dungeons & Dragons game, 1st Edition gave you that full stop. 2nd Edition pulled back on that a little bit. And they said, whoa, 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 let's not go crazy with all these details. And let's give you more justifications for them. And so there is that sort of less rulings, more justification. It just sort of comes down the sensibility of where you land as a dungeon master and whether you're going to prefer first edition or second edition. But there's also another reason why they tell you to always refer to first edition manuals um, and supplements. It's because there's not a huge, like I said before, there's not a huge difference between first and second edition, especially when it comes to Dragonlance. Dragonlance Adventures is the only Dragonlance manual that referenced anything on Ancelon until War of the Lands came, box set came out years and years later. 
And so if you wanted to play second edition Dungeons and Dragons in Dragonlance, you had to refer to the 1.5 edition Dragonlance Adventure hardcover book because there was nothing else. If you wanted to play in Tolidas, well, then you had a whole box set for that. But it took a while for the Tales of the Lance box set to come out after the second edition rolled out. And so all they did was reference Dragonlance Adventures, which was first edition. So that's the sort of headache that they always ran into with that. All right, so it's filled with basic gem advice and additional background on various topics. It also contains yet more optional rules, which I didn't find that many optional. I found more optional rules in the player's handbook than I did the Dungeon Masters, I got to be honest, including rules for creating new races and classes. And it doesn't really provide rules for creating rules and classes as much it just provides rationale. And, and it really comes down to the idea of players want to play monster races. And if you're going to allow a player to play a monster race, understand why we only have demi-human races. Why the non-human demi-human races have level limits and why humans do not. And it's because of balance. Humans don't get anything special. They don't have any abilities that make them anything. And, and so that's why they're open to all classes and they have no level limits. Demi-human races, they all have super special abilities. So if there was no level limit and elves could be paladins, why would anyone ever in their right mind play a human paladin? You could have all the benefits of elves with no level limit and get all the benefits of the paladin. And so it's just... In order to balance out the racial play, they have those restrictions and explain that in this. And so if you're going to be creating new species, well, here are the things you need to keep in mind. And it goes through a whole litany of explanations. And I really appreciated that because not only did it explain why they have those first edition rules of restrictions, not just with classes and races, but also levels with classes, it gives you justification moving forward to say, okay, we'll try this, or no, we're not going to try that when your players come asking for these different rulings or different options for them. And it all comes down to the basic idea of balance in a game. If you as a dungeon master are ever going to expect to be able to provide challenges that test the wit and skill of your players, then they cannot be immortal. And if you let players get away with everything they want, then they will be immortal and they will sweep through everything and they'll end up not having any fun and complaining that you're the problem as the DM and not them for getting everything that they wanted. It's your job as a DM to, much like a parent actually, to say no. And that's a full sentence. No. And if they complain and say why, well, you can explain the game design justification because you've already read it in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Or you can say, look, you can't have all of the cookies. Sometimes Susan wants a cookie. Sometimes Bartholomew. <laughs> have you guys ever played with Bartholomew? He's a great guy. Uh, sometimes Bartholomew wants a cookie. Like, one player cannot have every option wrapped up in their character, and you have to understand that as important as your bonuses and abilities are, so are as important your flaws and your lack of abilities because that creates the dynamic of a good character, not just a superhero. You want to play a superhero? There's superhero games out there. And that's what I love about the justification in this uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, you find often with new additions, 
that their effort to present something new to the players, they come up with rules that are too convoluted and imbalanced. Sometimes the old way was better. I agree. I think what drives me insane was 3.5 is because it was just, you, especially in Dragonlance, you could then be anything. You could be all of the bad races, all of the good races. It didn't matter. You can do whatever you want. There's no level limits. So you just choose your race. You get your bonuses with your race and you choose your classes. Same with fifth edition. You want to be a half gnome, half kender? No problem. You want to be, you know, a, a, a paladin, ranger, wizard? No problem. It's, it's ridiculous. There's literally no balance to the fifth edition game, except that there are no restrictions. And so everyone is superhero. Um, of course, that's presenting it in a way that is a little unfair because I've literally almost done two total party kills in my Dragonlance campaign 5th edition thus far. And so they're not exactly superheroes. It just comes to whether you're doing an old school mentality in DMing or a new school mentality, in my opinion. So uh, you've heard that uh, parenting guide no is a full sentence. Yeah, for real. <laughs> All right, so magic items are the one truly core mechanic found in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And it is incredibly important because without the Dungeon Master's Guide, there are no magic items in this game. So you have to have the Dungeon Master's Guide if you want to use magic in your world. Um, let's see. Uh, a division of the D&D is maintained throughout every edition of D&D, except for 4th edition. Interesting note. So assassins reappear in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but not as one might expect, not as a character class. They appear as a reprehensible mindset, which is the justification for leaving them out of the player's handbook as a playing class. And this all comes down in the class structure and justification of classes in Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. They very much took the sensibility of, look, a lot of these classes that people want to play are just variations on a theme. So an assassin is just a vindictive thief, a rogue. Like, that's, that's all it is. It doesn't have any other abilities other than handling poisons, and you can do that with a thief. So when you want to make a new class, you really should be looking at the existing classes and try to understand, is this just a variation on a theme? Or is this actually something new? And that's what I got out of this. And it really made me take a hard look at the Tales of the Lands box set because I just ran through six playing characters for the upcoming Ravenloft game, but we're building Dragonlance characters before uh, they're going to then be taken into the mists. And we were referencing Tales of the Lands box set for that. And you have classes like the Con Artist, the Mariner, and you can extrapolate this to, out to 3.5 edition to every one of those damn prestige classes. They're all variations on a theme. You actually don't need those classes at all. You could just role play a fighter who likes to be in the open ocean and suddenly you're a mariner. <laughs> you, you know, you don't need the other side. If you want to be a con artist, well, you're a thief. That's it. Use play as a con artist rather than play as your typical sneaky thief. So I really appreciated that aspect of this because again, the Dungeon Master's Guide in 2nd Edition is all about justification for game design more than player options. And to educate the Dungeon Master on why these rules are there is incredibly valuable. I'm going to harp on that a lot there. So just because you can get a TPK doesn't mean the 5e characters are too powerful. Uh, you hit level 6 party, third half health for, oh my eyes, uh, 56 force damage and only killed one of them. Whoa! Ooh, that's a lot of damage, dude. <laughs> All 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying that because I often harp on the idea that they are superhero and they can't ever be killed. But I've almost killed them more than once. And so that's just not a true statement that I've made in the past and that I know other people have made ad nauseum. And it's just not true. You know, I mean, yes, it is hard to kill characters who can just drop a hit die in a short rest to heal themselves up. Um, but it's your choice whether or not they get that short rest as the DM. You know, you can be pressure and just constantly adding more of it. All right, so let's see. Um, Cook's last statement that he removed them only because they were bad for party unity. And yeah, he does say that. You can tell that Cook doesn't like assassins. It, it, it reminds me of the sensibility that people have towards Kender in their home games. A lot of people hate Kender, not because of the Kender race or abilities, but because of how other people have played them in their games. So they think, well, that must be what all Kender are like, and I don't want that at my table because they suck. Well, that's just not true. Kender are not a monolith, and if you've read any of the Dragonlance modules, I'm sorry, novels, you realize that all of the Kender are very different. Yes, they share similar traits in some cases, but they are very different. You love AD&D, but uh, the rules is what stuck with the WEG Star Wars. Oh, dude, I played that. Mr. Mundane, how you doing? I played D6 Star Wars West End Games. It was a good time. I played a uh, Reyes, which is the three-eyed, three-stock-eyed alien. Um, and I was a bounty hunter. Gosh, I haven't thought about it in years. This was back in 94, 95, I think. Good times, though. It was a great game. And, you know, for people who don't know Star Wars, West End Games is what actually made the EU. They explained new worlds, new species, anything you saw in that Star Wars 1977 um, hive of scum and villainy bar, all those aliens had zero... No one knew what they were called. They were just aliens. It was West End Games that gave them backgrounds and names, etc. And totally developed out the extended universe for Star Wars. It was very, very cool. All right, back to Dragonlance. Um, though demons and devils were left on the cutting room floor for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition due to the fear of angry mothers, TSR hadn't cut them out of the outer planes as well. A short discussion of them references as a classic names, including Nine Hells and Seven Heavens and Twin Paradises. These planes would be rebooted in Planescape in 94. Then the new names would be tipped into the 2.5 edition of the Dungeon Master's Guide in 95. I don't, I think that's a straight up lie. I read that section of the planes and it's like three sentence paragraphs for the different categories of outer planes, ethereal plane, astral plane, and prime material plane. It does not go into the detail that first edition did with the different planes or that future editions did. They created a manual of the planes, which then did go into all that detail, but that note that I pulled during my research is a straight-up lie. <laughs> they didn't reference it at all. And certainly not in the way it's presented that they did. Demi-human races and monster races, uh, those restrictions are what I explained earlier about um, justification for different races and different classes. And then this actually gives you a lot of really great information that is more detailed, I think, than first edition on learning spells as a wizard and creating spells, like researching spells, uh, making spell books, scrolls, 
um, making magic items. Like it goes into really, really great detail for the dungeon master and, and, you know, sort of guidelines and suggestions on how to handle it with players. I really appreciate it for that aspect as well. So let's see, uh, you've heard that the wannabe Kender Knight Anik in the Saga game was a hit and extremely popular. Nice. Star Wars 2nd Edition had a lot of 30-some uh, source books. Yeah, it got, it got unwieldy, for sure. Saga Edition was a great edition of the Star Wars game, too. Okay, so uh, my ultimate review result of the 2nd Edition Dungeon Master's Guide is it's not necessary. Uh, <laughs> you can just reference the 1st Edition Dungeon Master's Guide and get the game mechanics that you need out of it. The benefit of the second edition Dungeon Master's Guide is the game designer justification for the rulings of the game. And if that matters to you as a Dungeon Master, then definitely pick up the second edition Dungeon Master's Guide. If the justification of the game designers doesn't matter to you, you really don't need it. I mean, pick it up so we can get the, the magic items, but you really don't need to read any of it. Just Go down to Appendix 3 and, and you're good to go, or Appendix 2 and you're good to go. Um, that's kind of it. Now, what it does have is the monster treasure table in Appendix 1. But again, these are the last three appendixes. So you don't really need the rest of the book. I, it's really kind of crazy to think about. It really reminds me of the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide, which doesn't tell you how to play the game at all, except it tells you what is role-playing. <laughs> How to make characters happy or players happy in role-playing. All sorts of bullshit. Oh, sorry. BS like that. It's just ridiculous. Like, there's no reason to have a book with all that information. And it has, like, for lazy DMs. This is what always drove me crazy. The 5th edition Dungeon Master Guide has tables upon tables of, like, making random dungeons. I've never understood why anyone needs a table to tell them how to randomly make a dungeon. Just sit down with graph paper and doodle. Why do you need a table to roll on to do that? Just do something different than you did last time. I, it must be for people with zero imagination. But if you have zero imagination, why are you the dungeon master? <laughs> you should be the player or, I don't know, play Monopoly because you have no imagination. It, 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 baffles me why there's, why there's so many of these tables. And I would love to know if people actually reference these tables and what of value they get out of it. Because you can just come up with ideas in your own mind. You don't need, you don't need tables to do that. I don't get it. It's weird. Never looked inside the DMG, the five DMG. Yeah, there's not much there for you. I mean, it, the, to be fair, I'm being a little hyperbolic. The fifth edition Dungeon Master's Guide pre presents optional rules which are the normal rules for every previous edition so, so the fifth edition game is very very stripped down and simplistic version of dungeons and dragons if you actually want to play dungeons and dragons well then you have to use the optional rules that are presented in the dungeon master's guide then you're actually playing dungeons and dragons rather than like this holding hands skipping fairy tale land like shoots and ladders version of dungeons and dragons it's very, very strange. I don't. I really don't know why they built the game like that, but whatever, they did. Um, second edition and first edition, they have all of those details, except it's part of the actual game. It's not an option. And of course, everything is an option, so I don't know why you have to present rules as options 
when as the dungeon master at your home table, everything's an option. You customize the whole game if you want to. As long as there's players willing to go along with it, then you just do whatever the heck you want. It doesn't matter at all. And it's constantly repeated over and over again. The first edition Dungeon Master's Guide and the second edition Dungeon Master's Guide. These are the rules, but as the Dungeon Master, you don't have to adhere to them and don't let players railroad the game. Like, over and over again. So, it's as if... It's as if the game designers expect a fight to break out at the table and the dungeon master to pull out the dungeon master guide, flip it open in front of the players and say, look, he told me right here I can do whatever I want. So nah, nah, nah. Like that's the, that's the feeling I get. Because if you're playing with people who have played role-playing games before, and again, one size does not fit all, but they're going into it knowing that they don't know the story. They don't know all of the rules or justifications. They're just there to have fun and play their character in the situations that the Dungeon Master presents. And so if the Dungeon Master says, you can't use that power right now, instead of arguing for five minutes about why or I want to or here's the specific wording, a good role player will be like, okay. And then they move along. And then after the game, they'll say, hey, you said I couldn't play that, but this is what the rules say. You know, why wouldn't, why wasn't I able to do that? And then, not interrupting play, after the game, the dungeon master can say, oh, you know what? It's because there was a magical barrier that you weren't aware of, and so it just foiled your plans. Or, I'm sorry I read that wrong, next time it won't happen again. But to interrupt play with rules lawyering is why I think they put all those justifications of the DM can do whatever they want. You know, they can ignore rules that you can do, you know, make any ruling you want or ignore them all. I don't know why you need that there. And I don't know why there are still players that complain and, and argue when that's literally built into the game. I understand why they do it in fifth edition because that's not in the game. They literally think everything is optional so they can do whatever they want. It's just a different sensibility. But anyway, that's just old man sitting on his porch griping <laughs> get off my lawn old kid young kids you young whippersnappers all right so dungeon master's guide second edition if you want to play second edition definitely pick it up because you need it for the magic items do you need to read it probably not but i'm glad i did so that i know the justification of the rules and uh, now i can just move forward uh into life happier and skipping <laughs> i don't know i don't know it was an interesting read. It wasn't particularly enjoyable, but it was interesting. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate your time and attention. That is going to do it for my review of the Dungeon Master's Guide, revised second edition by David Zeb Cook with Steve Winter and John Pickens. What do you think of the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons second edition game? Do you have any favorite edition? And finally, would you play a game in second edition? Would you watch one? I'm hoping some do. Please watch it! Uh, if you don't, that's okay too. You can always email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below. I'd like to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. And of course, this channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you so much for joining in that celebration. Once again, my name is Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Slanjavar.